Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another Sunday in lockdown. But even we, even though we may be counting the weeks of being apart, it's also one step closer to being together. Boys and girls, I hope you're all doing well. It's now June. The summer holidays are coming soon, so you only have a few more weeks of school. And I don't know whether you sit with your family and, and watch this or you're colouring in as I'm talking, but I have something here that maybe you'll remember. And I, I've kept it and I haven't opened it because I made a promise. Do you remember, I hid something in a box and I said on it, do not open for the children on Resurrection Sunday. Little did I know there would be no Resurrection Sunday. Do you remember what's in it? There's an Easter egg in it and we were going to share it together, but I haven't opened it yet. I'm keeping it for you and we are going to share it together. And so if you watch my video sometimes, maybe you'll see this box sitting behind me and it will remind you that when we come back to church and when we share in it as, as children together, the egg might be there. I don't know how we're going to do it with social distancing, but we'll, we'll sort it out when the time comes. There is so much that's happening that we're just waiting for legislation to see how things will work out and how we're going to do it. We have come to worship God and we're grateful that he is our good shepherd, that he journeys with us. And even though this valley may be dark that we're going through, uh, it's a dark valley. When you come through the valleys, you come out the other side and there's a, as a great celebration when you get through such dark times. But he is our good shepherd and he goes with us. And so as we come to worship him, let us commit this time of worship in our homes, wherever we are, to him and his care over us. So let us pray. Lord, you have come to walk with us in our life, not just as Lord and creator, but in loving intimacy. And Lord, even though you're powerful, you're gentle with us. Even though you're holy, you are forgiving. Even though you are glorious, glorious, you have created us to sense glory in creation and be in awe of you. But there's no greater glory than Jesus, who loved those who thought of themselves as unlovable, who treated as valuable those who were looked upon as worthless. And so, Lord, in our world where people self-harm, who are filled with anger, who have an empty hole within their hearts, who have no hope in the future. Lord, come as Lord and God, who, has lo who loves each of us, come up to us today in worship and be our help and our hope. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, 
How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of God. So we have arrived at some of the most famous words of Jesus uh, here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. An old miser said to his doctor, his lawyer and minister on his deathbed, They say you can't take it with you, the dying man said, but I'm going to try. I have three envelopes with 30,000 cash in each one and I want each of you to take an envelope and as they lower my casket into the grave, throw in the envelopes. So the day came and each man obeyed their friend and tossed in the envelopes as requested. But on the way home, the minister confessed to the other two, you know, I needed the money for the church, so I took out 10,000 and threw only 20,000 into the, the grave. The doctor said, I too must confess, I'm building a clinic, so I, I took 20,000 out and threw in only 10,000. The lawyer said, gentlemen, I'm ashamed of you for taking some of his money. I threw in the full amount made out in a personal check. Now, so many of our jokes revolve around money and professions and how many jokes are about us trying to take something from this world into the next because it's so hard to leave it all behind. We've worked so hard for it. Just think of those Egyptian pyramids and everything that was crammed in for them to take with them into the next life. Here in these words, Jesus is probing our hearts by talking about your treasure, your eye, and your master. And he's telling us by these images what it means to be in God's kingdom and to follow Jesus as its king. So your treasure, do not store up, verse 19, for yourselves treasures on earth, verse 20, but store up treasures in heaven. This is not about your heart. This is about your treasure. Your heart always follows your treasure. So find your treasure and you'll find what your heart delights in. And Jesus says there are two kinds of treasure you choose to invest in and which your heart follows. It's either the earthly treasure or the heavenly treasure. And you can't have both because one cancels out the other. On our Thursday prayers there as a church community, I included this graphic of these words. If I was illustrating this verse, my first thought would have been a treasure chest full of money and precious and expensive things. But I asked you to think why the artist put a lock to illustrate these words of Jesus. Now, I don't know what your answer was, but I was thinking what you treasure is what you want to lock away. It's what you want no one else to have access to. It's what's most valuable to you. And ultimately, it's what feeds your significance, your identity and security. And therefore, if you lost it, you would be devastated. There are things that moths would get, that rust would get, that thieves would get. And in the ancient world, clothes were considered a, a part of one's wealth. They were so labour intensive to produce, especially getting colour into them. So they were very valuable. But that's what moths would go after and could ruin. The word rust translates actually the word for eating. 
rust eats metal, yes, but worms also eat food storage. So when, G when you hear Jesus' words about what eats their treasure, they may not just be thinking about metal, they might be just thinking about their grain supplies, which is their security for eating in the months and the year ahead. And your gold and silver was never safe in the ancient world. There's no such things as, as banks to put them in. So imagine these Palestinian homes, these one-roomed homes, and where is the only safe place? It's the closet. It's the only place in the house that has no window and can be locked. And that's where Jesus says that you go and pray. But it's also the place where you store your valuables, your clothes, your grain or your silver. So imagine the disciple of Jesus who takes her master's advice. She hears Jesus say that she's supposed to enter her closet to pray. So that very night, during the time of evening prayers, she walks into the inner room of her house, closes the door behind her and begins to pray the words that Jesus taught her. Maybe she took with her a little lamp into that dark, small, cramped, windowless, secure room. And in the privacy, she says, Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those that owe us and around her are her husband's tools, maybe her diary, a small bag of coins, perhaps there's some jewellery there on a shelf or pearls wrapped up in a cloth. And as she's thinking about some of the things that aren't there because they've loaned them out and people haven't brought them back or people you've lent money to, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, as we forgive those that owe us. And then she comes to the last line and deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever and ever. And as she's praying, she looks around at all her things in this room. And she's wondering how all these things stored in this closet fit together in the kingdom of God that Jesus so passionately talked about on that day on the mountain. When he said, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so maybe what is being done in secret is not just praying in secret, but is praying about the very things in this room, in this closet, that are locked away, that you're looking at as you pray. The kingdom of heaven is God's presence coming, invading the world in Jesus and touching our lives. And it's, it's coming into every corner of daily living, even that closet and what's locked inside that closet for security. The kingdom of God is greater than all these things. The danger for Jesus and his followers was not money and work. Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He was provided for by those who did work for profit and were able to care for him and his disciples. So the, the, the danger is not money or work. The danger is the lure of riches and wealth and possessions becoming the treasures that will take over your heart. What you treasure will control your heart. Jesus says heavenly treasure lasts forever and can never be taken away. We all know that. We want heaven. We want to live forever. 
The question is how to get your heart to desire that heavenly over the earthly. And that answer is given by these words about your eye. Verses 22 and 23. And just as there are two kinds of treasure, there are two kinds of eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. In the ancient world, they thought that your eyes shone light out and that's how you were able to see. Um, just like lamps give off light. And Jesus is using this understanding of how eyesight works to make a spiritual point. How you see the world will, be, will determine um, how you're affected by it within. If you're colourblind, all the reds and greens of Christmas decorations are lost on you. It affects how you experience Christmas and anything else. If you have cataracts, you may sit next to someone and perceive only a shadow. How you see will affect how you experience the world and live in it. So when Jesus says, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. But what kind of seeing is he talking about? He's actually talking about generosity and greed. When Jesus says, if your eyes are bad, the, the words literally are the evil eye. The ancients, uh, the, in the ancient world, in the ancient world, the evil eye was one that covets what belongs to someone else. It was the greedy eye. And so in Matthew 20, verse 15, the, the, the landowner says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you literally, have you got an evil eye? Because I'm generous. Are you envious? Are you greedy? Because I am generous. So often in our Bibles, we're actually literally seeing the words, the evil eye. But what they mean is greed or envy or jealousy. So when Jesus is talking here, about the eyes that are bad. It's literally the, the evil eye is greedy eyes. And so the way you see the world, if you have greedy eyes, makes your heart, makes your whole body, makes your life dark. The way you see the world, if you have generous eyes, will make you full of light. That's what Jesus is saying. So here is how you know what treasure has your heart. Are you greedy? Or are you generous? How you see, whether in terms of being greedy or generous, is the key that connects us back to the treasure, but also forward to God and money. And so just as we have your treasure and your eye, thirdly, we have your master. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Well, some of you have two jobs. You can actually have two masters. But the word for serve is the word for a slave, not an employee. So you can work for two masters, but you can't be a slave to two masters because when you are a slave, you are the sole property of one master who demands exclusive service. So no one can serve, no one can be a slave of two masters. And Jesus then goes on to explain what two masters compete in our lives for complete exclusive ownership. It's either God or 
money. Now, those of you who remember the King James Version will, will know that it translated the Aramaic word here, mammon. The Aramaic word mammon meant trusted thing or that which one trusts, but it was also the word for riches. And so our more modern translations follows that understanding and calls it what's our, for riches and, and gives us the word money instead. But it's not just about money, but it's also, also Jesus is saying what we put our trust in. Now, money itself is, is neutral. Money has no moral value. It is not inherently evil and it's not inherently good. The question of the morality of money has to do with what we do with our money. Think of a camera. You can use it to create beauty or you can take a photograph that will create devastation and shame. How you use it creates the morality of, 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 of the camera. This, a camera is not inherently bad or good. Money is the same. How you use it will determine whether it's, it's evil or it's good. So how does money serve us as followers of Jesus? Do we use it for trust, for mammon, or do we trust God to provide? If the key to this section is the eye, then Jesus is saying that greed, the evil eye, does not just define your treasure, but also what makes money a rival God in your life. So how do we live in the kingdom of God and follow Jesus in the way that Jesus is teaching us here? And there are three ways I want to suggest that I'm challenged in our own lives about, about living uh, in the light of what Jesus teaches us here. And the first thing is quite simply living generously. Because if the evil eye is about greed and the good eye is about generosity, then generosity is about being free with what we have. In Luke chapter 16, uh, verses 19 to 31, Jesus tells a parable about the rich man and Lazarus. I preached on that some months back. And uh, the rich man is self-centered. He is a stingy spirit. He never thought of helping poor Lazarus who begged at his uh, gate, who longed to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. In Jesus' parable, death came to both of them. The rich man is plunged into the darkness that has long been in his soul. And in torment, he begged for a messenger to go and tell his living relatives about the truths he had failed to see during his lifetime. Now, Scott McKnight, a New Testament commentator, he says, when I was speaking at Fuller Theological Seminary in their chapel, I spoke about this parable. I called it the parable from hell. The point of my talk was that we want to know who will go to heaven and how long hell will last? But Jesus, he says, used hell language not to satisfy our curiosity, but to urge us to see the Lazaruses at our gate. He says, when I was done, uh, a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, Cara Powell, we had coffee together. And on our way to the local coffee shop, she told me how her daughter had become wonderfully sensitive to the poor. And as a result, they always carried some McDonald's coupons with them so that if they saw someone who was in need, they had something that they could immediately give them. Then he says it happened. As Cara and I left the coffee shop to sit outside to chat, a beggar asked for something. Cara, knowing the beggar's style, sat down with me and we continued chatting on. But on our way back to the theological seminary, the beggar was there 
and she said words that I will never forget. Hello, I'm Kyra. What's your name? I'd like to help you with these coupons. Will you use them to buy some food? And Scott McKnight says, Kyra illustrated for me what it means to relax my grip on securing provisions and to live a carefree existence of following Jesus in his kingdom conditions. He says, it is easier to walk by someone than to help. It's easier to save money than to give it away. But he says, the disciple of Jesus is called to see, your eye, to see those in need, to do something about it. And then he says, it begins when we ask their name. So what a lovely uh, picture here. It's not just giving something to a beggar, but saying, hello, I'm your name. What's your name? Here's something for you. Living generously. Secondly, living simply. If we're storing treasures in heaven, it's a summons to simplify our lifestyle on earth. It's interesting that since these COVID, the COVID-19 outbreak, many of us have discovered a new freedom from lives less complicated and therefore freer to enjoy the really important things. Living more simply is a challenge to look at your home, to look at your time, look at your possessions and cut out what makes it needlessly busy and stressful and takes you away from the important relationships that you should be developing. If we try to live more simply on earth, we will fill our hearts with less to worry about as well as living more for heaven and for Jesus and his kingdom. Now the call to simplicity is not a call to poverty. As I said, Jesus constantly benefited from the wealth and possessions of others. He's not against wealth, but Jesus is against hoarding. Remember the parable of the, of the farmer who said, I'm, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. He had already had enough, but he wanted, he wanted to hoard more. He's, Jesus is not against wealth, but he's against hoarding. He's not against possessions so much as using possessions to, in the service of others. That's what it means to live in God's kingdom, to use what we have to serve others. And therefore, there's a call to live more simply so we can be freer to share what we have. So living generously, living simply, and finally, living lovingly. What's the treasures in heaven that won't rust? What will last forever? What can moths and rust not touch now? And the answer is quite simply, love. Paul in his great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, how does it end? And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest of that triad? Because hope is what we look forward to when we see Jesus. We don't need hope anymore. Hope is only for this life. Faith is where we put our allegiance in a world of competing allegiances. But when we see Jesus, that battle with unbelief and other allegiances has gone. But love 
will last forever. Love is what we will experience and live in forever. The love of God's new world uh, and everything that flows from it, graciously and bountifully given to us and the love that we will experience in the new heavens and the new earth uh, as, 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 as God's living uh, people. And even in this life, love is what will drive us for justice and peace and not ignore, ignore the cries of those who are disadvantaged and struggling. And the effects of such a lifestyle will ripple from now into eternity because God is a God of love. So Jesus presents us here with a choice between two ways of life. They both concern your treasure, your eye and your master. But the lifestyle he demands is storing up heavenly treasure because of a generous eye in the service of God as master. And you will enjoy the freedom that comes from living those kingdom values as they affect every area of your life. And it also leads on to do not worry, as we will see next Sunday. So live more generously. Take steps to live more simply. Live more lovingly. And that theme has come up a number of times throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, radically in loving your enemies and doing good to those who, who persecute you and whatever. So you need to go back and think about what it means to live lovingly. But these are the way that it means to live in the kingdom of God that we delight to be in. And so as we think about the challenge of these things, we pray and we confess it's hard, it's not easy, that the Lord has given us his Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth and to help us to live in the truth. So let us pray. Lord Jesus, you stand before us today as Lord, just like you did 2,000 years ago on this mountainside. Jesus, you're telling us that if we want you as Lord and all that your Lordship means for our lives, then we have to get our lives orientated with your kingdom and its values. And Lord, to protect our lives from becoming wasted like prodigals, we receive these words today and ask you to help us to take the steps we need to live it. Help us to become more carefree and generous with our money and possessions and time. Help us to simplify our lives to the things that ultimately matter. Help us to love freely and graciously as Jesus did in his love of us. And as your Holy Spirit purifies these hearts and refines our lives, may Jesus be seen as precious to us because we rejoice that we are precious to you. Thank you, Lord, for the great God that you are. Thank you for helping us to be your people today. Lead us in these days ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.